0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Society of the Environment podcasts: Interviews with Environment Professionals. My name is Phil Underwood and I'm the Engagement Manager here at the Society of the Environment and today I'm playing host of this podcast. Over the last few episodes we've given a short introduction to the Society of the Environment but at this stage if you want to know a little bit more about us just head on to our website which is sockemv.org.uk. that's S-O-C env.org.uk or you can listen to our nifty intro podcast a brief introduction. All of our episodes are based around learning about what a Chartered environmentalist or registered environmental technician is and what they do and how they got to where they are now. This is to provide a little bit of inspiration to those who are looking to get into the world of protecting and enhancing our environment through their work and outside of their work. You may then be inspired to join the 7,500 Chartered Environment lists and registered environmental technicians and the positive work they do around the world. For this month's episode of Interviews with Environmental Professionals, we delve into the world of fuel, a topic that has very obvious and direct environmental connotations. Fuel of some kind is required across the world in industry, home life, transport and so on, but greener fuels are becoming more normal and demanded more and more by many groups. It's a challenging topic indeed. So today we are joined by a chartered environmentalist who works for a giant in the sector. And this is Elaine McFarland from Shell. Thank you very much for spending time with us today, Elaine. It's great to have you with us. You're welcome. We're going to be exploring Elaine's experience as an environmental professional and her journey towards where she is now. So that's as much of an introduction as I'm going to give for Elaine. I'm going to hand it over to her with a few questions that we're going to run through. We'll start off with question number one. Elaine, could you explain what your current job is and what you do?
1: Certainly. I started at Shell way back in 1974, working as a laboratory technician. By stages, I worked my way up and I am now a fuel scientist in the retail fuels R&D team. We're a global team of around 200 scientists and engineers based in the UK, Houston, Hamburg and China. And we work on the development of new fuel formulations.
0: Wow, so it's an international role. That's an interesting one. What are your expected tasks within that role?
1: I'm actually in the deployment part of the retail fuels R&D team. And it is the deployment team that launches new fuel formulations that have gone right through the development cycle from blue skies thinking through lab tests uh, and road testing, etc. Some team members give technical presentations at launch events to media and stakeholders. And my role is to support colleagues with technical demonstration tools that complement their presentations and help the audience to understand the complexity underpinning our fuels technology. The demonstration tools ranged from real engines and engine parts through to animations, 3D experiences and tabletop models.
0: And what were the requirements to be able to do the job that you do at the moment?
1: Well, I started my career having completed science A-levels at school, so started right at the, uh, the first rung. I then studied for a further six A-levels at evening classes in a a wide range of subjects like archaeology, politics, and psychology. These diverse interests led me to leave Shell for four years to study for a multidisciplinary degree in health and community studies, which looked at health issues from environmental, biological, psychological, and historical aspects. I then returned to Shell and was sponsored to study for a master's degree in environmental biology, uh, developing expertise in fuels microbiology. And this is the topic area uh, I uh, studied for my dissertation. Hmm. I've had a very unconventional career path, which has made me perfectly qualified for my current role, which is a mix of technical and marketing, requiring a different approach to the usual sort of science activities.
0: So there are a number of different areas of expertise required for the role there. What are some of the challenges that you face?
1: Well, I work with uh, a range of very skilled and talented agencies and third-party technical suppliers. At first, identifying the best technical partners was quite daunting. But slowly, over time, I've built up a great external team. It's also challenging to constantly come up with new ideas to help explain the benefits of our fuels. So I get inspiration from visiting galleries, museums and exhibitions, also brainstorming with internal and external team members and keeping up to date with the new technologies. There are also many considerations when developing tools such as uh, logistical aspects, health, safety and security, and environment or hsse so even if you have a great idea it doesn't automatically mean it can be implemented because you have to take all these other factors uh, into account
0: so being able to present that in the correct way to the right people is obviously very important for your role and for shell overall yes so leaving challenges to one side let's move on to a more positive area any recent highlights that you can take from what you've been doing
1: Well, over the summer, we had uh, a shell stand at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, and this is described on their website as the largest car culture event in the world and a celebration of motorsport, so just the right place to have a shell stand. Mm. On our stand, we displayed a wide range of tools that helped our fuel scientists to explain the benefits of our fuels to customers at the show. This is a huge amount of job satisfaction for me, seeing the work I do having such a direct impact and giving technical insights to customers.
0: Now that's directly linked to cars. In terms of fuels, is that what you mainly focus on, motor fuels? Or am I thinking too simplistically here?
1: Uh, No, it covers a a range of sectors, you know, from uh, B2B through to B2C and motorsport.
0: Right. Okay. Interesting. Well, I can see how the Goodwood Festival of Speak can certainly be a highlight. Do you feel like you make a difference in your role?
1: Oh, absolutely. I constantly get good feedback on the demonstration tools from many parts of our business. And businesses keep on demanding them. So the work continues to be funded, which is a great endorsement in itself.
0: The demand must be useful for your role, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I think it's... uh... Um, You know, sometimes we're explaining quite difficult technical concepts, so to have a tool which helps you explain that concept is uh, a great asset.
0: Mm, Yes, I imagine so. Okay, next question. Why did you choose this profession?
1: Well, I chose a science route for A-level, but with no clear idea of exactly what I wanted to do. I successfully applied for a place to study biology at uni um, at that time. Uh, But I was also applying for jobs, um, so I I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go to uni or or go into the workplace. I managed to secure a job as a laboratory technician at Shell's Thornton Research Centre, and I decided to take the position. The rest is history. (laughs) I was very fortunate to have a second chance at uni when I was actually 38 years old, and I managed to combine study with looking after a young family at the time. It was then fantastic to return to Shell Thornton and reinvigorated with new qualifications and skills. I was subsequently invited to join the Energy Institute, which we know by the initials EI, Microbiology Committee, and as my background at Shell Thornton was in aviation fuels, I was also invited to join the EI Technical Committee that looks after aviation fuel miscellaneous test methods, which I still chair. My support to the EI then led to me gaining the professional affiliations of Chartered Scientist and Chartered Environmentalist. I'm also chartered with the Royal Society of Biology.
0: Okay, so you gained your Chartered Environmentalist and Chartered Scientist registrations via the Energy Institute. Did you study biology at university when you went for it the second time? And did you study biology at university when you went for it that second time?
1: Yes, I did a master's degree in environmental biology, um, but with a, as I say, the dissertation elements focused on fuels microbiology.
0: Yeah. Yes. When when did you first develop an awareness for the environment?
1: I guess this was uh, at uni um, for the first time. Really, I studied modules on sustainable development, so I genuinely then took an interest in environmental issues. I built on this at Shell when I took the opportunity. To apply for environmental volunteering activities. Shell sponsors a wonderful scheme called Shell Project Better World, aimed at building awareness of sustainable development and providing volunteering opportunities for staff. I applied to this scheme in 2012 and 2016 and was lucky enough to be accepted on both occasions. My first placement was in the Czech Republic, where I took measurements in an area badly affected by acid rain caused by Polish power stations burning high sulphur coal. And the second was supporting research into climate change in Wytham Woods in Oxfordshire. Both of these were fantastic opportunities and I fully enjoyed both of them. The second placement also had a large educational element to it and we were expected to be environmental ambassadors when we returned to the workplace.
0: Well, that sounds like a fantastic volunteering opportunity you put yourself forward for there. And acid rain, you don't hear about that much anymore. I don't know if it's gone under the radar now or maybe it's just less of an issue. I'm, I'm not too sure.
1: The area actually was quite sad, you know, to look at because uh, the trees are, are basically just poles and they're so acidic that they don't even get broken down by microbes. Um, so it's just these bare trees, no foliage, and they just look like telegraph poles. So it's, it's really sad, actually. Hmm. But it's going to take, you know, a long time to, to get the area back into a reasonable position.
0: So any action or investment into solving the situation is greatly appreciated in the local area, I'm sure.
1: Yes, and they're trying various remediation efforts, uh, which um, the volunteers then do the monitoring to monitor the success of the remediation actions.
0: So I guess you gain updates from the project that you've been volunteering on on a regular basis, or is it that you've done your bit now and it's on to the next stage?
1: Uh, We do have updates on the Shell Project Better World um, website. And and in fact, I wrote an article uh, for that website after I had been to the Czech Republic to try and encourage other people to join up. So, yes, you know, we do get updates.
0: Excellent. So you've already mentioned that you became a chartered environmentalist via the Energy Institute. Uh, What does being a chartered environmentalist mean to you?
1: As an environmental professional, I proactively seek ways to support initiatives and raise awareness of environmental issues. So, for example, I, I've just mentioned I wrote an article for our, our own Shell internal website. Mm. But I also followed up my placement in and Woods uh, with an article for the EIS Petroleum Review. Uh, so the idea being, you know, to cascade information to a, a much wider audience. I'm also a STEM ambassador, so that's uh, helping students to participate in STEM subjects, which is science, technology, engineering and maths, for those who are not sure of the acronym. And a couple of years ago, I was involved in a rocket building session at the University of Chester Science Park. And this was with a group of year eight and nine students. So they actually uh, built the rockets and decorated them and I judged the best decorated rocket. And then at the end of the day, we set the rockets off. So it was a a fantastic day. I also wrote an article for the Shell Pensioner magazine uh, about the STEM activity day. And as a result of that, was invited to become a STEM spotlighted ambassador. So again, um, I cascaded my experience on the STEM website. This work in acting as a role model for encouraging women and girls into science led to me being nominated for Cheshire Woman of the Year in 2016. So just by involving myself in these activities, you know, one thing leads to another and uh, you get recognised, which is fantastic. And currently I volunteer at Theatre Clwyd in North Wales and recently won them a Shell grant for their Bright Sparks programme. And this is intended to inspire children to explore STEM subjects with new imagination. So it fits in perfectly with the work I've done with Shell and with other organisations. Theatre Cleared has also just announced that they are a single-use plastic-free in all their public spaces. So I think this is another great environmental initiative, uh, which is why I, I like to
0: support them. Well, it certainly does sound like a fantastic initiative to be involved in, and that's an interesting overview of what you've been able to get involved in as a chartered environmentalist. But how important do you see it to be recognised as an environmental professional or as a chartered environmentalist specifically?
1: I think um, being a recognised expert gives you more credibility and authority when you're interacting and talking to audiences. And it certainly helps you to raise environmental awareness in the ways that I've just described, you know, through STEM um, and Theatre Clearwood, et cetera. Gaining chartership also enhances job prospects and it opens opportunities. For example, the chartership provided part of the justification for my successful Shell Project Better World applications. So it allows you to be a credible influencer. So with the Energy Institute, for example, I've introduced sustainability moments onto agendas, so we have a a safety moment which we've had on the agendas for quite some time. But now this has been extended to sustainability as well. So I feel quite proud of that. And I reviewed the Teth method template, which is the template that everybody uses as a starting point to write a new method. Uh, so in this template, uh, I've added a sustainability piece, so that now. Uh, When people are writing methods, they automatically consider this as a topic, which is fantastic. So a consideration might be uh, that instead of using new glassware each time in a method, you would reuse the glassware and, and clean it. So it's that kind of idea.
0: So very much linked to the scientific approaches to how people do things and making sure that it's more sustainable. And you mentioned sustainability moments. What do you mean by moments?
1: So the example I've just given where I reviewed a method and suggested that they move away from using new glassware each time to clean glassware. So just that changing one word in a method actually can make a big difference. Um, so th- those are the sort of things that we would uh, raise in the safety and sustainability piece, but it, all, it could also be, you know, something from your, your domestic or personal life. Uh, so for example, One colleague uh, said that he moved away from wrapping Christmas presents and so each of his children had a bag, basically, with all the presents in. Um, This takes me back to my childhood, actually, because we used to have a pillowcase with presents in. So there's things that you can do in your personal life that you can share and cascade, things you can do within your job and your career.
0: And all those moments make a difference. Absolutely. That's good. What would you say to others thinking about a career in the environment?
1: Well, as you've uh, heard uh, during the podcast, I've had a very unconventional path to gaining chartered status with the Society for the Environment, so there's no right or wrong approaches. I would urge you to look at the application process and do a gap analysis and try to identify opportunities to help you fill in the gaps, and volunteering could be a great way to do this and complement your work-related activities.
0: It certainly can
1: so i think this is something i've done you know fairly proactively you know sought opportunities like shell project better world to try and further my knowledge uh, on climate change sustainability etc and uh, you know there there are many different ways of doing this
0: it all adds to the application and it certainly helps towards a successful application so what's next for you then
1: well i would like to continue to strengthen and build uh, on the work that i currently do developing demonstration tools to support the benefits of our fuels this is never dull and it's an excellent opportunity to use your imagination i absolutely love it i would also like to continue to support stem and my local theatres who do such great work with young people and uh, continue to work on my cpd for the society for the environment as a chartered environmentalist and also a chartered scientist
0: that's something we like to hear The final question is something we've been asking all of our podcast guests so far. If you're able to influence world leaders for a day, what would be the first thing you would do or say?
1: Well, I thought about this uh, question quite deeply and I think it has to be something that you can realistically influence yourself. So, uh, and this is something, again, that I've been quite proactive in trying to make a change here. So I was walking down Oxford Street actually uh, following a, an EI meeting one day and uh, as i passed the shop doors um unless it was a very huge uh, you know department store with automatic doors invariably each of those shops has an open door policy because they try to attract customers um you know into their shop
0: they do they remove the barrier hmm.
1: so what they're doing effectively is heating pavements in winter and cooling them in the summer And I'm very angry about this because um, it would be such a simple convention to change. You know, if if the government just said, you know, from now onwards, all shops will have a closed door policy, people would still go into those shops. We would just understand that the rule has changed. But I was so infuriated about this that I wrote to my member of parliament. um, And it was actually (laughs) um, a very, very woolly response that I got. Uh, So basically, they're they're not going to take any action on this or at least in the short term so i think if i could influence world leaders for a day i would like to have a national closed door day throughout the uk retail sector to raise awareness of this issue
0: that's an interesting one very much energy related which i'm not too surprised about but it's certainly something that would make quite a difference i imagine
1: yes and also make a difference to to staff you know who you know can feel quite cold in the winter you know standing by open doorways.
0: This is true. Yeah, this is very true. There's one for the world leaders to ponder over the next few weeks. And with that, we bring today's interview with Elaine to a close. So thank you very much for joining us today. It's been really interesting and a great insight into your career and what you do now. So thank you very much for that.
1: And thank you so much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I hope uh, some listeners find some inspiration on uh, where they can take their CPD further.
0: Well, I'm sure they will, certainly. Thank you very much. If this has inspired you and you want to hear more about the Chartered Environmentalist or Registered Environmental Technician registrations, which you can apply for through 24 licensed member bodies, please take a look at our How to Become or Why Become recorded webinars, which are available on our website. That website again is that's socenv.org.uk, that's S O C E N V.org.uk, or if you prefer, head to our YouTube site, which you can search for by typing Society for the Environment and you'll find them listed. Also on there, you'll find our fascinating environmental webinar series, which look into the technical side of different roles and topics, such as waste and innovations and various other things. And there's more of that coming very shortly. You can also follow us on Twitter using at underscore HQ to track what the society is up to at the moment and any future news. And you can also find us on LinkedIn under the Society for the Environment but make sure you find the right page. If you find Sokemv, that's not us. That's somebody in Canada, apparently. Lastly, if you aren't already aware, we release a new episode of our podcast on the first Wednesday of each month. So if you're interested in future episodes, please subscribe to one of the podcast platforms, which include Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, where you can like or indeed leave a review if you enjoyed our episode. We do very much appreciate the likes and reviews. It helps spread the word a little bit more about environmental professionals and what they do. So thank you very much for joining us today and we shall see you in the next episode.